If you enjoyed these podcasts, check out Byron Reese's newest book. It's about artificial intelligence and covers all the topics addressed on Voices in AI. It's called The Fourth Age, Smart Robots, Conscious Computers, and the Future of Humanity, and it's available now wherever fine books are sold. This is Voices in AI brought to you by GigaOM. I'm Byron Reese. Today, my guest is Ben Goetzel. He is the CEO of Singularity Net and as well as the chief scientist over at Hanson Robotics. He holds a PhD in mathematics from Temple University, and he's talking to us from Hong Kong right now, where he lives. Welcome to the show, Ben. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to our discussion. The first question I always throw at people is, what is intelligence? And interestingly, you have a definition of intelligence in your Wikipedia entry. That's a first. But why don't we just start with that? What is intelligence? Yeah, I, I actually spent a lot of time working on the mathematical formalization of a definition of intelligence early in my career and came up with something fairly crisp, which, to be honest, at this stage, I'm no longer as enthused about as I was before. But I, but I do think that question opens up a, a, lot, a lot of other interesting issues. So the, the way I came to think about intelligence early in my career was simply as achieving a broad variety of goals in a broad variety of environments, or, or as I put it, the ability to achieve complex goals in, in, in complex environments. And this, this tied in with what I later distinguished as AGI versus narrow AI. I mean, I, I introduced the notion of API and that term in 2004 or so. And I mean, that that has to do with an API being a system that can achieve a variety of different complex goals in a variety of different types of scenarios, which is different than the narrow AIs that we have all around us today that basically do one sort of thing in, in one sort of context. And you know, I, I still think that's a very valuable way to look at things, but I've I've drifted more into a more systems theory perspective. I've been working with a, a, a guy named Weaver, David Weinbaum, who did a PhD recently at the Free University of Brussels on the concept of open-ended intelligence, which is more looking at intelligence as you know, just the process of exploration and information creation that a system does in interaction with with an environment and in this open-ended intelligence view you really <clears throat> you're looking at intelligent systems as complex self-organizing systems and you know the creation of goals to be pursued is part of what an intelligent system does but isn't necessarily the crux of it. So I, I would say understanding what intelligence is is an ongoing pursuit, and I think that's okay. Like in, in, in biology, like the goal isn't to define what life is in a once and for all formal sense before you can do biology, or in, in art, the goal isn't to define what beauty is before you can proceed. These are sort of umbrella concepts which can then lead to a variety of different, you know, particularizations and, and formalizations based on what you're doing. 
And yet I wonder, I wonder what our, because you're right, biologists don't have a consensus definition for what life is, or even death for that matter. And, and you wonder at some level if maybe there's no such thing as life. I mean, like maybe it isn't really a well, thing. I mean, and so maybe you say that about I mean, like, that's not really even a thing. Well, this is a, one, of my, one of my favorite quotes of all time. It's from former president Bill Clinton, which is a, that all depends on what the meaning of is, is. There you go. So, I mean, well, let me ask you yeah, a question I mean, about, <laughs> about goals, um, which you just brought up. And, and I, I guess when we're talking about machine intelligence or mechanical intelligence, did, let me ask point blank, like, is it, is a compass's goal to point to north or does it just happen to point to north? And if, if it isn't a goal to point to north, what is the difference between kind of what it does and what it wants to do? Yeah, I mean, the, the standard example used in systems theory is a thermostat, right? Like, is it, the thermostat's goal to keep the temperature above a certain level or below a certain level or, or, or in a certain range? And in, in that sense, like, the thermostat does have, you know, it has a sensor, it has an actuator, it has a very simple control system connecting the two. So it's, from the outside, it's pretty hard not to call the thermostat a goal-achieving system with like a sensor, an actor, and a decision-making process in, 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 in between. And again, again, the word goal, it's a natural language concept. It can be used for, for a lot of different things. And I, I guess that some people have the idea that there, there are natural definitions of concepts that have, uh, you know, a profound and unique meaning. I, I sort of think that only exists in, in the mathematics domain where you can say, you know, a, a certain definition, like of a real number or something, it's natural and, and perfect because of all the beautiful theorems you can, you can prove around it. But in, in the real world, things are, are messy and there's, there's room for different flavors of a, of a concept. And I think from the view of the outside observer, the thermostat is pursuing a certain goal. And you know the compass maybe also if you go down into the into the microphysics of it. On the other hand, an interesting point is that from its own point of view, the thermostat is not pursuing a goal. Like the thermostat lacks a you know a deliberative reflective model of itself as a as a goal achieving agent. It's an outside observer who sees the thermostat is pursuing a goal. Now for a human being, I mean, once you're beyond the age of six or nine months or something, I mean, you are pursuing a goal relative to the observer that is yourself. Like you know you're pursuing that that goal. You have a sense of that. And I think this this gets at the crucial connection between, you know, reflection and uh, you know meta thinking, self-observation, and general intelligence, because it's the fact that we represent within ourselves 
the fact that we are pursuing some goals, this, this, this is part of what allows us to change and adapt the goals as we, as we grow and learn in a, you know, in a broadly purposeful and, and, and meaningful way. Like if a thermostat breaks, it's not going to correct itself and go back to its original goal or something, right? It's, 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 it's just going to break. And then it doesn't even make a halting and flawed attempt to understand what it's doing and, and why, like, like we humans do. So one, one could say that something has a goal if, it's, if there's some function which is it's systematically maximizing, in which case a compass or a thermos that do have a goal, you could say that it has a purpose if it is representing itself as this goal-maximizing system and can manipulate this representation somehow. And that's a, that's a little bit different. And then also get to the difference between narrow AIs and, and AGIs. Like you look at, I mean, AlphaGo has a goal of winning at Go, but he doesn't know that Go is a game, right? So, I mean, it doesn't know what winning is in any broad sense. So I mean if you if you gave it a version of Go with like a a hexagonal board and three different players or something, it doesn't have the basis to adapt its behaviors to this weird new context and like figure out what is the purpose of doing stuff in this in this weird new context because it's not it's not representing itself and its relation to the Go game and its reward function in the way that the person playing Go does. Or like if I'm playing Go, I'm much worse than Alpha Go. I'm I'm even worse than say my my oldest son who was like a one down or two down Go player, right? I, I'm way down on the on the hierarchy because I know that it's a game manipulating little stones on the board by analogy to human warfare. I know it's a game between to people and that winning is done by counting stones and so forth. And so being able to conceptualize my goal as a Go player in the broader context of my interaction with the world is really helpful when things go crazy and, and, and the world changes and your original details goals didn't make any sense anymore, which which has happened throughout my life as a human with, a, with astonishing regularity. Right. So, you know, I think most of the time these sorts of definitional discussions are really meaningless. Like, you know, is that really dessert or is that really a vacation or is that really, I mean, no, none of that matters. But I guess with things like goals and, and self and understanding, you know, what we're talking about in the end is, can machines ever be moral agents? And can machines, uh, do machines have rights by, on the basis that they can experience pain? And I mean, so there, there are weighty issues that hang on these, these obscure questions. And so I guess, you know, yeah. talking to somebody who that's runs- the, that, that, that's, the nature, that's the nature of human life, right? We have weighty issues hanging on things that we don't understand how we anything yeah. about. So, but from a guy that, you know, is a CEO of Singularity Net, it would, and, and based on what you've written before, I assume that you believe at some point we can duplicate that machines can have selves and they can experience the world 
and they can achieve consciousness and they can be moral agents and all of the rest. Is that true? Do you believe that? Yes, I, 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 I do believe that. And I also believe that by experimenting with both intelligent machines of various sorts and with you know, modified human brains and brain-computer interfaces, I think we're going to come at a much better understanding of, of these concepts that we're discussing than right. that, but, the, 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 what we, than what we have now. Right. I mean, like in, in, in physics, you have concepts like mass and velocity and acceleration and charge, and they may not be the profound and ultimate definitions from a philosophy view. There may be, you know, weird conditions near a, near a spinning black hole where our common sense understanding of these definitions doesn't work anymore. But they're they're like decent workaday concepts in the domains where we normally live for for dealing with uh, you know Newtonian physics and electromagnetic physics. Now I, I I don't think we necessarily have that like workaday conceptual vocabulary for AGI systems yet. I, I think all of our, our ways of thinking about mind and consciousness and goals and intelligence are very overfitted to human beings. And you know, as, as we extend to create many different types of intelligence, whether by building AGIs or by networking people's brains together, I mean, I, I think we're entering areas where these legacy concepts are, are not really gonna be that useful anymore. Same as in biology where they may have had a sort of workaday notion of what life is, like, okay, a rock isn't very alive, a person is, a bacteria is. But once you're doing synthetic biology and nanotechnology and you're engineering molecular machines, suddenly, like, the rough and ready approximate conceptualization of things is not only just philosophically incomplete, like, it's, it's not helpful anymore, right? So I, I think we're... We're going to find all these words we're throwing around are not that helpful once we really get into ATI and uh, BCI and so forth and where we're going to in the next couple of decades. And working together with ATIs, we're going to come up with a lot of new concepts and new theories that, that make a lot more sense. And some people would like it if we could come up with a perfect theoretical understanding of ATI, you know, with pencil and paper beforehand so that we could somehow control or predict exactly where AGI is going to go before we build it. But uh, I'm, I'm sorry, that's, that's not going to work. I mean, that, that's for both practical and then theoretical reasons. But I'm really curious because, you know, we have consciousness. So, so we experience the world. We don't measure temperature. We feel warmth. And that's called the last great scientific question we neither know how to pose scientifically, nor do we know what the answer to that will look like. And it's the thing we're all most immediately aware of in our life, that we experience the world. And, and I, I, I posit that the belief we'll build machines that experience the world is an article of faith based on a simple assumption that human brains are machines and human minds are machines. For me consciousness is a mechanistic process but do we know that for a fact well my perspective isn't mechanistic at, at all so I, I, I think I think that uh, you know different people 
working on even the same AI system can have different views on these on these broader concepts. And that there's certainly some people involved with OpenCode who have more of a mechanistic view. I mean, I'm I'm really more of a of a panpsychist where I believe consciousness is an attribute that attaches right. to everything that that exists. And I'm also, to be honest, I'm, I'm a bit of a mystic in that I think this this space-time continuum we exist in is probably just one fragment of some much much larger realm of being. So I mean, I I I edited a book on the uh, psi phenomena, ESP uh, precognition. Your reincarnation and remote viewing and, and so forth. So I could we could have we could have a whole other other podcast on bizarre phenomena that are supported by data but don't fit in to standard materialistic and mechanistic view of the world. So I, I think whatever consciousness is, and I have my own ideas about that, it appears to be associated with the hunk of meat in our head, which uh, we call our brain, and with our body. And in that case, the question is, can consciousness be similarly associated with a bunch of, of wires on a chip or, or, or with a bunch of light going through an optical process or something, right? So one, one doesn't have to assume that consciousness is comprised of physical and mechanical operations to think that consciousness can associate with a electrical machine, the same way that associates with a with a bio a biochemical machine, and I, I think we're going to be able to explore these issues in a much more empirical way going forward with brain computer interfacing. And this, this is what I've referred to as second person science. So, what if instead of talking to each other, you know, over a phone line, you and I could connect our brains together with like an Ethernet 7.0 cable or, or Wi-Fi or whatever, right? So we, we connect our brains together, and as we increase the bandwidth, so to speak, of that connection, we would gradually move toward the condition of becoming like one brain, right? Because I have so many connections to my brain and yours. So as our brains are more and more richly connected, we would feel each other's consciousness as if we were becoming two halves of one brain. Then as we decrease the bandwidth of that connection, we would start to feel very separate and distinct again. But this, this would be a second person <clears throat> knowing of, of each other. Now, suppose I do that same experiment with a brick. You know, I might, by wiring my brain into the you know, electrodynamics inside a brick, I might, I might feel what it is to be a brick. But my guess is it's going to feel much less interesting and complicated than what, than what it means to be you. And now, suppose I wire my brain into, you know, the computer chip running an OpenCog AGI algorithm. What do I feel? Does it feel like a brick? Does it feel like a vast, meaningless conglomeration of if-then statements with no feeling or experience? Or, or do I sort of meld my consciousness in with the consciousness of that AGI system, the same way that happened when I wired my brain into the brain of another human, right? And then you can do this with more, with more than one people, right? When we wire our brains together, we'd have a third observer wire their brain into the group as well, and then they could report, yes, these guys are not lying when they say that they were melding their minds and feeling each other's consciousness. 
So I think right now we're restricted to like looking at data tables, reading out from laboratory instruments, or else our own first-person subjective experiences, which can be communicated only you know through language or, or other inter indirect media like drawings. But with with brain-computer interfacing and brain-brain interfacing, that will bring you know, conscious experience in, into the realm of science in a quite quite interesting and, and different way. I mean, that our direct experiences of each other's consciousness will be auditable within a community of observers, which is really the essence of how scientific truth is, is ar arrived at. And this is going to lead us to very different ontology of conscious states and sort of a different theory of our consciousness attaches to matter. Now, now we're like in the position of people in the Middle Ages making theories about what's in outer space without a spaceship or a telescope, right? And so looking at consciousness with the limited tools that we have now. So, and and I'll wrap this up with with just a kind of a, do you, do you believe we're going to get kind of to a general intelligence or to that world you're talking about through a, a series of incremental improvements or is there some ta-da kind of breakthrough that one day that will just happen uh, and we'll stumble on it? And, and regardless of your answer to that, when do you think we'll have that? Is, because when I ask people on my show that, I get between five and 500 years. And so I'm kind of curious where in that, in that broad choice of timing, would you, would you place your, uh, your poker chip? Yeah, I mean, about timing, first of all, I think if, if it can be done with standard digital computers and big networks of them, which I'm, you know, 90, 95% sure of, then we're, we're say, five to 30 years off. We're not 500 years off. I mean, there's a lot of computing power. There's a lot of smart people thinking about AI now. There's not, not as much focus on AGI as there could be, but that could change in five to 10 years or even one or two years, right? So, I mean, I think we're, we're years to decades off unless there's something really big that I'm overlooking and we need like a, you know, a quantum biocomputer to do it or something. Then it could be 50 years or 70 years. But even in that, even in that case, in the very unlikely case that you need some more brain-like hardware slash wetware slash quantumware infrastructure, even in that unlikely case, you know, it's going to be this century. I mean, we're building quantum computers like at a breakneck breakneck speed now and you know we're, we're, we're doing synthetic biology so I, I, I think it, it's not 500 years off people who say that are just denying uh, the reality of exponential growth no. in terms of the hard takeoff or soft takeoff I mean I I, I need to come up with a better word for this but I, I, I think of it as more of like a, a semi hard takeoff right so I mean what I think is there's going to be gradual improvements for a while. And, you know, these are going to get us to the point where we have an AGI system that 
can do, you know, math and computer science at, let's say, the level of an undergraduate from a from, from a good university. And, you know, it's still going to be pretty dramatic in that period, getting up to that point. So if, if you look now in certain fields of AI, like in, in deep neural networks, like the computer vision and natural language processing, you have new papers coming out every week, which are something new and new and, and amazing. And it's, uh, it's mind-numbing even to keep up with all the new papers right now. I think in a few years, we're going to have that situation regarding AGI, where there's a new paper about AGI every week, new code about AGI every week, and we're just going to like feel, feel the amazing progress toward AGI the way that we're feeling it now in, in computer vision or in, in uh, deep neural nets for natural language processing. And that, that burst of activity is going to get us toward an AGI you know, that, that can read Russell and Norvig's uh, textbook on on AI and it can download someone's, you know, R code for formal concept analysis and run it on a data set and compare it to a clustering algorithm or something, right? Now, once you've got an AGI that can do math and computer science at the undergraduate level, right, then then the ground is there for a hard takeoff because, I mean, that, that system it can absorb human knowledge on math and computer science and on hardware design, on the properties of materials. But, you know, it can also interface brain to brain with Mathematica, MATLAB, and R. It can also copy itself and put itself on a thousand different computers and so forth. So at, at that stage, who knows how fast things could, could progress. You could have a doubling of intelligence every month or, or even for a while every every hour or something, right? So that, But I think... I think that point where you get the hard takeoff is going to come from having an AGI that can fully absorb like all of human culture's knowledge on math, computer science, and engineering. It's not going to come like from some rogue self-improving process off of the box somewhere. So tell me about Singularity Net. What's for the for the listeners who aren't familiar with it? Kind of tell tell that story, and then kind of update us on where you are and what we can look forward to you launching. Absolutely, yes. So let us, let us plunge from the, uh, the airy realms of the philosophy of consciousness and brain-computer interfacing to the software that we are, we are rolling out this month and ongoingly during this, during this year. So, I mean, my, my real background and, and passion regarding AI is to create general intelligence at the human level and beyond. And, and I, I believe that very likely, although I can't be absolutely certain, we're, we're able to do that using, you know, computer programs written in current programming languages, running on big distributed networks to the kinds of computers we have, we have now. But it, I mean, it remains a difficult problem and it's also not gonna be like an AGI running in a box, studying its uh, simulated virtual navel, right? I mean, it, it, it's going to be, it, it's going to be an AI system getting to AGI first. It's going to be an AI system that is working together with the amazing amount of data and computing networks and, and narrow AIs and other software and hardware systems all around the planet. Like we're, we're building a global brain on the planet Earth right now, connecting together various computing and, and communication systems and other sources of data and medical sensors 
And we're going to first get to AGI by sort of building the cognitive cortex for the global brain, which can work together with all the other computing systems and work together with all the people on the planet, but support a higher level of digital generalization and, and, and abstraction and learning on top of them. If you look at the pathway, we need a bunch of things here to get the AGI. We do need we do need the right algorithm and lifelong learning and transfer learning. And I've been working on that for a long time within my OpenCog project, which is an open source AGI R&D project. You can find it out online. But I think these very powerful algorithms for learning and abstraction and reflection are only part of the story. You need to be connecting these really powerful abstract algorithms with other AI tools that are doing, you know, more specific and practical things, processing data from various sensors, analyzing different kinds of data sets, helping people achieve various goals. So then, then you need the right sort of connection fabric and infrastructure for more abstraction-oriented AI agents to connect with more concrete, nitty-gritty, specialized AI agents so that the different AI agents on various levels of abstraction and with different focuses can connect together into what AI pioneer Marvin Minsky called a society of minds, and what I think of more as an, an economy of minds, because different AI agents are doing this population of interacting AIs. They can not only you know outsource work to each other and share data with each other, but they must be able to you know rate each other for how well they did and pay each other for their work. And, these are not all living in a box somewhere. They're embedded in the world economy. And they're, I mean, they're using real compute resources and data resources and human resources. So they need to be part of the existing money economy for this, for this purpose. So the Singularity Net project is something I launched uh, with uh, Simone Giacomelli and a bunch of others in 2017. And this, uh, this is oriented towards providing a decentralized, blockchain-based, democratically controlled framework and platform for letting many different AIs you know, connect together with each other, sharing information with each other, outsourcing work to each other, rating each other, paying each other, and sort of organizing into a collective society of AI agents where the intelligence is greater than the sum of the parts. And these AI agents, some of them are doing very nitty-gritty practical things, like labeling what objects and events are in images, they're answering people's questions, they're analyzing, you know, biomedical data. So some of them are doing more abstract things, like metal learning and reasoning about, you know, how what modes of reasoning or learning work, work best in which context. Some of them are doing softer things like trying to understand human emotion from language and voice. But all, all these different AI agents are connecting together in this common framework. And so this, we funded this and got this going in late 2017 via a, a ICO, a token generation event that, that we did in, in, in December, back, back when uh, cryptocurrency was in a little more of a bull market than it is right now. but the cryptocurrency aspect is really mostly on the back end. So there's an efficient, customized way for AIs to compensate each other for 
for their work, and we can use the cryptographic token as, as you know, reward and bonus for AIs or people doing doing useful useful things in the network. So, you know, if I'm right, this can serve two purposes at once. It, it can be the way that AGI sort of crystallizes out of many different AI agents with different characteristics and purposes written by different people, and it, it, it can also be a way of sort of steering the global AI community away from oligopolistic control by a few large companies and major, you know, government, military, slash intelligence organizations, and ensuring that you know the crystallization of AGI is occurring out of the the provision of benefit across all different countries, social classes, and and, and vertical markets, and the incorporation of AI algorithms and ideas from developers everywhere, not just those who happen to live somewhere that enables them to get a job for a, a big tech company or a government intelligence organization. And then, um, well, yeah, where, a a no, no, a I'm, a I'm trying to pick it all in. So, <laughs> yeah. what, what, what do you hope happens out, out of all of that? Out of, um, like, what, what can you reasonably expect to happen? Well, we're creating the singularity, man. That's why it's called singularity, man. Yeah. We're going to launch the technological singularity. But of course, when you're looking at at the microscopic level, month and year by year, singularity is small actions by you know human beings and software programs that that are existing right now. And this this comes out to a bunch of specific things. I mean, we have three different network effects that we need to get going in order to make the singularity vision work. And I mean, one of them is we need to get more and more AI developers to put their AI code into the singularity net platform instead of just putting it on GitHub where it sits there and waits for someone to figure it out and download it. You put it live into a, a container running, running in the cloud so that anyone can access your AI agency, singularity net APIs and, and tell you if, if if they do, and we need to get more and more developers to want to do this with their AI code. So we have like a living organism comprising the different AI agents and services put on there by developers around the world. Now, another thing is we need to get the different AIs in this network to talk to each other and share share data with each other and outsource work to each other so the whole can be greater than the sum of the parts. And this this requires AI developers to think a little bit different way than they have been. And just like in my lifetime, we made a shift from writing our own data structures and algorithms to accessing other people's data structures and algorithms from libraries. People need to finally make a shift to agent-based software design, where they write AI thinking that their AI is going to be consulting other AI agents on things as, as it goes about working. So that's two different network effects we need to see. One is getting AI developers to actually use this platform or put this stuff like, live into containers online wrapping our APIs. And the other is we need to get the AIs talking to each other. So each AI isn't like a narrow AI living in some silo processing some data and giving it to its own answers. So they're talking to each other so they can synergize and you really get a Minsky S society of mind. And then the third network effect we need to see to make this work is on the, on the demand side. I mean, we need to get users. 
which is companies, large and small, independent developers who need AI. We need to get them to be using decentralized AI network instead of you know, using Amazon's AI API, Google Tencent by News AI API, or instead of going and getting uh, subscriptions to APIs for a bunch of random websites, we need to get AI users to actually use this platform. And towards that end, one thing I've been involved in the last few months is spinning off a separate company from the Singularity Net called the Singularity Studio. Now, the Singularity Net is a decentralized AI network which is democratically operated, sort of like a, you know, a digital biological organism, but we are feeding that network to a nonprofit organization called the Singularity Net Foundation Organization, which is Ethereum blockchain is a decentralized, democratically organized digital biological organism as well. But there's an Ethereum foundation in Switzerland which sort of governs the the operation of that and from a you know a conventional legal and structural point of view. So the the Singularity Net Foundation is guiding the growth of this Singularity Net decentralized AI network is spinning off a for-profit company called Singularity Studio, which is its own corporate entity. The goal of Singularity Studio is to design, create, build, and monetize enterprise software products, which back end from this decentralized Singularity Net AI network. So we're, I mean, we're sort of playing in the same space as an element AI, HTML, power tier, and so forth. But the difference is, these other companies that are doing enterprise AI software products plus services, and they're back-ending on basically their own proprietary AI code and pulling open source in when they can, where Singularity Studios enterprise AI products are back-ending on this, this decentralized AI network from Singularity Net. And, you know, we're just at the end of this month of February, uh, 2019. We're kicking off this Singularity Studio spinoff by means of the Singularity Studio product. And this, this is sort of breaking new ground in business and, and corporate structure and, and business model because we're, we're trying to very tightly link together this decentralized open AI network and this, this for-profit enterprise software company. I mean, you, you have analogies to that in the world now. I mean, you have Ethereum Network, Ethereum Foundation, and then Consensus, which is a company that does consulting on top of that. And of course, you have Linux, which is open source, and then Red Hat, which is just bought by IBM for $36 billion or something, making enterprise software on top of, of Linux. But we're, we're creating more of a, you know, a purposeful, well-architected coupling between this decentralized network and this enterprise software company so the two can can grow together again with the dual goals of working as fast as possible toward 
general intelligence and sort of making sure that this general intelligence is as democratically and participatorily governed and regulated as possible. Because I think the latter is the way that we get to a beneficial AGI. I mean, the way you get to an AGI that good to human beings and that, that respects the, uh, you know, the rights and, uh, and the, the beauty and the welfare of humans and other sentient beings. It's not by having an expert committee of ethics gurus looking for the UN, you know, Google, IBM, and Tencent, pontificating about what's for the good of the world. The way you get to a beneficial API is by bringing the whole, the whole beautiful, loving mess of humanity into the process of building and sculpting and, and using this API so it comes about in a, in a democratic manner. And actually we're, we're having a workshop on exactly this in Malta, the Malta AI and blockchain uh, conference in in May on a, AI law and, and citizenship. So sort of thinking about not just how do you build AGI, but how do you how do you work AGI into the legal structures all all around the world, so that when when you ask me like Singularity Net, which is owned by everyone and no one and controlled in a democratic and participatory way by all the AI developers and, and users like, play into the legal systems of the world. Like, can an AI be a citizen? As the, the Sophia Robot and software team I led at Hanson Robotics, or, or Hong Kong or the US, can a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization, a self-modifying company that, that refines its own corporate bylaws by, by and the DAO register itself. We're working with the Malta government's AI task force to resolve, or I'd say take the first steps toward, toward fleshing out and, and, and resolving these, these, these sorts of issues. So there's, there's a lot of different pieces here, right? There's, there's what is AI and consciousness that we, and intelligence that we were discussing in the beginning of this call, and there's you know, hardcore AI algorithms for learning how to learn and reflecting and reasoning, which we're working on in Open Cloud, Open Source AGI project. There's connecting together many different AIs for a collective intelligence that the SingularityNet platform enables. And that there's, a, you know, how do you make money from this for all the AI developers out there around the world, including in the developing world, who can't get a job for Google or, 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 or Baidu, which the singularity next decentralized and the participatory mechanism enables. And then like how do you how do you encourage this AI to be nice to people as it becomes super intelligent? And how do you work it into the you know legal and regulatory systems around all the planet? And the fun part is we've got to work out all these things together in an interlocking way pretty fast because this could all come to a head within the next Five to ten years, not not five hundred years. So it's been exciting and at times a dizzying time to be alive and involved in all these things. And I I'm hoping everyone listening to this is either involved in helping with this or will become involved with, with helping in this. And I mean, this is part of why I'm so into open source and, and crypto and decentralization because I think we need more you know brains, hearts, minds, and souls pushing on the 
making AGI come out in a in a in a positive way, and and we need to build tools that can leverage the contributions from as many different people as possible. Okay, well, that is uh, that's a lot to think about, Ben. Uh, why don't we leave it there? We're <laughs> out of time, but I want to thank you for a fascinating show. We covered a lot of ground, and I applaud what you're doing. Well, yeah, yeah, th 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 thanks a lot. This would take uh, more than an hour to plumb the depths of all these issues, uh, per perhaps. But once uh, once this network is uh, larger and uh, flourishing, then uh, perhaps we will we will talk again, and then we'll, we'll see where things have come. And where Let's do it. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in AI, please check out the other ones. And in addition, Byron Reese hosts another podcast about AI called the AI Minute. Every day, it's a minute or two of daily reflections about AI. It's available wherever you find your podcast of choice. And in addition, it's an Alexa skill. So it can be part of your flash briefing every day if you own an Alexa device.